Compiler is an original podcast from Red Hat discussing tech topics big, small, and strange alike. What are tech hiring managers actually looking for? And do you have to know how to code to get started in open source? Listen to Compiler anywhere you find your podcasts or visit redhat.com slash compiler. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast. As you may have noticed, there is no cold intro. If you are a cold intro fan, you got to write in because the cold intro haters, they their voices have been heard and you know the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So no cold intro for now unless I hear from other folks. I am Ben Popper. I'm the director of content here at Stack Overflow, joined as I often am by my wonderful colleagues and collaborators, Matt Kiernander and Ciara Ford. How's it going, y'all? Hello. Good. So for those of you who don't know, Matt works with me here at Stack Overflow as a technical advocate evangelist. And Ciara, you are at Auth0 in the developer relations world, right? How's that been going? That's a new gig. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about it. What are you working yeah, on? Yeah. It's so crazy because while I started this new role, I've simultaneously had like a ton of like crazy stuff going on with like family and everything. Right. So it's like terrible timing. <laughs> but the good thing is that I'm on a really supportive team so far. So I'm getting into the part where it's like, all right, you're going to have to actually start like doing stuff with the team instead of just like onboarding, which is interesting. We have a couple events going on in the States and internationally, which hopefully I'll be able to make it to a couple of those. So I'm excited about that. This is going to be my first time like actually traveling as a developer advocate since I got into tech during the pandemic. So those are the, them's the perks. All right. Yeah, getting back to that lifestyle. So I'm, I'm hyped that I get to actually take advantage. Yeah. I'm glad they let you, you know, sort of look after your family issues. That speaks yeah. well of them as an employer. Are there certain areas that you're going to like study up on or they want you to learn that are different from Apollo GraphQL? Yeah. Auth Zero's whole thing is identity and like security and things like that, mm-hmm. which it's so funny because every time I, I feel like every other episode, I'm talking about how little I know about that kind of stuff. So <laughs> I right. have to nowhere like, to go but up from here. Okay, yeah, I have to like, now. It's okay. It. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I'll be studying up on in the the next couple months. Okay, cool. Well, if you find something interesting during the curriculum, let us know. We'll bring it on the show. I'm I'm very curious if I can if I can hop in here really quick. Developer advocate roles are very varied in terms of like what they expect, whether you know you're more of a video focus or technical yeah. documentation writing focus or a community focus. So like what kind of area of developer advocacy are you going to be working on at Auth? I'm going to mostly be focused on community events, meaning speaking engagements and things like that, workshops, stuff like that. So I'm really, really hyped about that because like I was saying earlier, I've always wanted to travel a ton and like you usually get to do that in developer advocacy, but like, you know, the pandemic and everything. I'm a little nervous because it seems like we're going to be going through another potential added struggle to the pandemic with like the monkeypox thing or whatever. But (laughs) even so, I'll probably be focused on like virtual events. We also internally hold a lot of events. Like I said, we'll be having some internationally. We'll have one in Australia, one in Berlin and one in London and one in Seattle. Yeah. So aside from that, it's just like going to events and either doing a booth or a workshop or a talk, things like that, which is exciting, nerve wracking a little bit because obviously like I'll have to like talk about identity stuff. Like I know what I'm talking about, which means I have to like know my thing. As you're workshopping the talk or the booth or, you know, let's do it here. Let's hear about it. And we'll get some (laughs) feedback from the audience. It'll be a safe space. Matt, you brought a link today, obviously now as a Canadian resident of the great Canada, (laughs) 
they had a big internet outage. Catch us up on what happened here and what it has to do with the with software. There was a, a very big boo-boo that happened in the Canadian telco space. And I did a little bit of digging into it. They finally kind of come out with a public letter saying what happened. I didn't realize how bad it was until some of the ramifications that happened with changing up a personnel and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, this actually is quite a big deal. So basically what happened was Rogers, which is one of the main Canadian telecommunication agencies, it went down which affected the entire cellular network as well as taking like credit card transactions and debit card transactions, that kind of thing. So I think it was only debit that was affected. So when I was going out about my day, I couldn't actually use my debit card for any, like I had to go and get cash out and use my New wow. Zealand credit card because I couldn't, I couldn't get stuff anywhere. And like in Vancouver as well, there were like a lot of festivals and it just completely messed up everyone's day. There was an estimated around 10 million people affected which is roughly a quarter of the population of Canada. There mm. was emergency uh, tweet, uh, sorry, emergency tweets, emergency text messages were unable yeah. to go out. So, you know, when there was um, like fire warnings or dangerous personnel warnings, those, those couldn't go out. As I mentioned, banking was down. Rogers employees had to switch to backup Bell and TELUS uh, SIM cards because they couldn't communicate with anyone using their own phones. It was a, it was a big deal. By the sounds of it, what actually happened was they're upgrading a lot of the infrastructure. So they did a deployment mm. and they were upgrading some of their core infrastructure. And what happened was, I think there was, from what I can tell, it looks like there was a piece of code somewhere that updated or deleted a routing table internally, which then caused a flow and effect of like DDoSing and like overloading a lot of other infrastructure, which then brought everything down. And they had no yeah. idea what was going on. They thought it was a cyber attack. They warned the other telcos like, hey, we think that we're, we're being attacked. We don't know what's going on. So it was basically like somebody messed up a deployment. They didn't test well enough and brought down the entire network. Amazing. Yeah, this says here, in its letter, Roger said coding from the update deleted a routing filter that allowed for all possible routes to the internet to pass through the routers, which flooded and overwhelmed the core network. As a result, the Rogers network lost connectivity. And then many Rogers employers looking to fix the problem were affected and could not connect to the company's IT and network system. Only those equipped with emergency SIMs on alternate carriers could initially triage the outage. So double yeah. whammy there. This yeah. is like a nightmare. It's it's yeah. <laughs> every software engineer is like, the, like this is the biggest, oh yeah. my goodness, this is just yeah. terrible. I feel so bad for the person who like deployed that code and like messed everything up. Oh my God. But the thing is, yeah. right, like even if even if you were the person to hit green light on that i still don't yeah. think that is their fault because like no, this yeah. is much more of a if you can bring down the entire rogers network because of like a bad deploy that wasn't tested that is a symptom of like the overall processes and yeah everything that goes on at rogers and i yeah. think since then, needs to be more robust checks in there definitely yeah no one person should be able to bring it down I always think about that every time like things like this happens with anything. Like you said, it's not just one person. Although I'm sure the one person who like deployed <laughs> whatever it was feels yeah. really bad. Yeah. But like it's one of those things where at least a team, if not a whole org under the company, like needs to have a whole like reassessment of mm -hmm. how they run because this yeah. shouldn't something like like this major shouldn't happen yeah. over yeah, exactly. one deployment. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah, there should be some kind of like failsafe or like it's if it starts to flood over, then there's a, a firewall here. Okay, you know, we cut off this quarter of the network, but the other three quarters are working and then we can fix it, you know, as opposed to letting the whole thing just get sort of yeah. overwhelmed. That's exactly what they're doing. I think they're oh, yeah? decoupling some of their networks. So like the, mm-hmm. the one that processes payments from the cellular network. I think this has caused, even though it was a bad event and it did impact a lot of businesses and a lot of people, I think the positive flow and effects from this, they're like, oh, we actually need to get this sorted. So they're, they're right. picking. Yeah. It's also, it also might just be damage control and PR saying <laughs> like, we're going to fix yeah. everything. <laughs> right. you know? but, no, but, but better to do it now at when you, when it was a booble on your end, then actually yeah, another nation state is attacking you and <laughs> you know, and then yeah. you know, they start yeah. parachuting in. So now you, you can work on yeah, it. Yeah, All right. Yeah. Speaking of bad days, there was a question <laughs> and a what good a thread on Hacker News about how to get out of a rut. It was from someone who's a worked as a software developer and then took a job as a technical writer and just, you know, felt like they could not get motivated to work. It was dragging them down, not really sure how to break out of it, and there were a lot of interesting, I thought, suggestions in the comments. It was a, it was a positive comment thread especially for Hacker News uh, mm. by the standards <laughs> of Hacker News. Exercise was in there, animals, companionship, time outdoors, there was talk about sort of like making the time for a disconnect, you know, like really a reset, whether that's going on a big hike or, you know, going on a big surf or going to a music festival, whatever it is for you, way out of your normal routine, you know, that's kind of a reset. So I just wanted to throw that out to you two and just, you know, are there, what do you do when you're in a rut? What's your, do you have go-tos or what do you think about? Yeah, I was looking through these suggestions and there's a lot of good stuff here. I think Probably the best way to sum up my favorite responses on here is that it's really good to do things away from the screen, like away from technology, especially we work in tech. We work on our computers all the time. A lot of people here mentioned stop playing video games to relax. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because it's just more screens. Yeah. Yeah. And then people were saying like, hang out with actual people like and i know Mm -hmm. that sounds like get friends don't be like alone or whatever but it kind of is true like sometimes especially now i think after the pandemic we are so used to doing everything like virtually and everything and sometimes you supplement that by spending extra time on social media and you forget that like you actually have friends and family that you can see in real life and you should see them in real life and like in person that's a really great recommendation. I think, like I said, like during the pandemic, I think a lot of us have gotten into the habit of doing like social media and TV and video games. And those things aren't necessarily bad, but I do think they can lead you to being in a rut or staying in a rut for even longer. So yeah, I would definitely like agree with the people who are saying like, do the in real life stuff, go outside, spend time with family, go on a picnic, go on a walk, whatever, things like that. Every time I see a thread like this, it always reminds me of the meme that went through like a year and a half into the pandemic of going for a walk for my stupid mental health. And <laughs> it's just every time I, mm. I'm feeling kind of somewhat this way where I notice that I'm maybe not feeling as energetic or motivated or feeling a little bit down, I do have to force myself to go outside and like be with people or go for a walk or do whatever else because I do feel good after, but like at the time you just it's the last thing that you want to do you're just like i'm just going to wallow in self-pity for a little bit and like watch some tv and get some mcdonald's uber eats but realizing that and um taking care of yourself it's it's a process and i I felt i empathized a lot with the person who started this thread as well because yeah it's a bad situation to be in it sucks 
you know, if it's a, especially if it's something relating to you're not satisfied in your job and your career, like it's not something that you can fix overnight. There are some things you can right. do to improve it, like exercise and eat well and decouple your identity from work as much as you can. But that one is so crucial. I'm glad you mentioned that one because somebody said that here and it's like, maybe you don't love your job right now, but it's not always easy to just say, well, just quit or just find another job. It can be, you know, that's a process, a journey you set out on. So they were kind of saying, look, like maybe your identity could be, I'm exercising and I'm getting better at X or better at Y, or, you know, I joined a chess club and now I have friends and we do this and, you know, we're growing the club. And then when I go to work, my, my mission is just to crush what's in front of me, like crush my to-do list and leave. Like, it's not like, I don't have to love my job for yeah. it to serve a role in my life. This person seemed like they were kind of saying, I feel really bad because I don't feel passionate about my work. Yeah. You know, maybe you can solve that down the road, but maybe for the time being, you just say like, I don't have to love work to be happy. Like I can find other sort of identities, right? Yeah, absolutely. I got some good advice from, this happened a couple, probably like midway through the pandemic. And I was going through a little bit of a Matt crisis and I was like, maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe software development isn't for me. And I want to do something yeah. that has, I, I miss you, that. I, I spit laugh seltzer all over my computer. Keep going. <laughs> okay. I have sorry to hose about it down. <laughs> <laughs> so I was having a bit of a crisis and my manager at the time I was, was somebody that I was close to. So I feel like a lot of people went through this where they, they realized in tech that the work they're doing, whether that's you know, building a new software as a service platform or whatever else, it doesn't really have much of a tangible, positive human impact at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, it's not face-to-face. You're not interacting with customers. Like you don't see a lot of the benefits of work that you do. So I was thinking about potentially going and, and trying to get into med school and chatting to a manager about it. And she was pretty good actually, because she was like, yeah, like my partner is a doctor and, you know, she comes home and she's like, I saved somebody's life today. Or like, I made it like a tangible difference. And I was like, well, how do you rationalize that between your partner saying, having this very meaningful output at the end of the day. And you're like, I implemented a new ad system that generates 3% more monthly recurring revenue for the company. And it, <laughs> she basically said the work that she does day to day is not reflective of kind of like who she is as a person. And in a sense that like it enables her a lifestyle that leads to much more fulfilling things. So she'll yeah. put up with the 40 hours of work, crush it, do everything she can to do a good job there. But outside she goes, and then actually enjoys herself and finds all of her meaning by like volunteering and like filling her cup outside of work. And that's a different way that you can look at what your career yeah. is. It's something that enables you to do the stuff that actually does fulfill you. Before I got into the tech industry, like officially my first job, I participated in this program that was basically like a boot camp for teaching people how to be good public speakers. And it was like women only. And the end of the program, you give a 10 minute talk. And my 10 minute talk was on passion and how we kind of think that we have to be passionate about our job. You have to do something you're passionate about. And in the talk, I kind of explain how that's not necessarily the case. Like it's perfectly okay to do something that pays the bill so that you can fulfill like what you're actually passionate about outside of work. And I think sometimes we get obsessed with like feeling extra fulfilled at the end of the day and being super passionate about our job. And that's what kind of causes us to attach our own like self-value to our work, right. which can be dangerous for a lot of different reasons. And then when you f- lose that spark, because passion isn't a constant, right? When you lose that spark, it makes you like doubt your whole like career, which again can be dangerous. So I agree with everything you're saying about how like, maybe you should look at it in a way like I want a job that will allow me to do things that I'm passionate about outside of work or things yeah. that I care a lot about outside of work. 
another comment that somebody made on this post was that another factor could very well be mental illness or depression. Like that's definitely something that could lead to you being in a rut because sometimes you do try to exercise or you try to like lower your screen time and you try to like fix things at work on your day to day and you still feel like you're out of it. Sometimes that's a sign that you need to take like extra help and maybe even seek like medical care, which is like something I wanted to say to anybody who's like listening and feels like they're in that spot because I've experienced that myself and I'm happy to announce that I'm finally like seeing a therapist. My first visit is this week. Congratulations. Good for you. Thank you. you. Thank you. But like, it's important to keep that factor in mind too. You can try to change as many things as you want in life, but like sometimes it really just comes down to like... Yeah, sometimes it is neurochemical and you got to take some bigger strides. Exactly. Yeah. All right. One more thing I want to say, and then we'll jump off to our next link. I do not advocate the use of any illegal substances, but you should check out, if you're interested, this cool documentary on Netflix called How to Change Your Mind. It's Michael Pollan's book, which he wrote about psychedelics, and now they're doing a Netflix documentary about it. So within a laboratory setting, you know, you can sign up for a trial if you qualify for it. Maybe you have PTSD. Maybe you're a terminal patient who's sort of suffering from the depression of like knowing that you're near the end, or maybe you have OCD. And the really amazing thing about some of the substances that these people take is that, you know, we were just talking about like, it's like a lifelong practice. You got to keep exercising. You got to keep going to therapy. You know, you got to keep seeing family. Like you just got to, you know, you got to do those things every day to make sort of maintain that mental health or dig yourself out of the rut. But some of these more powerful substances in the right setting with the right guidance for the right things, this one particular subject in the second episode had crippling OCD. It was like ruining his life and following a single dose was clinically cured, like no longer had OCD, you know, just it was not part of his life anymore. And they've had similarly sort of striking results for things like PTSD and depression. And a lot of people within that talk about, I want to just sort of bring it full circle, being able to see from afar their self, self-image, self-story, and to kind of smash that up and deconstruct it and like not be so stuck in sort of like a certain concept of who they are, or who they need to be, to kind of lose that. And that kind of frees them up to move in a new direction. So very cool show on Netflix if you're interested. Not that I'm advocating you do any of it, but you know, it's a documentary. Check it out. Yeah. <laughs> I've got one other quick thing to add just that popped into my mind when um, Sierra was talking. So an idea that I just had, I've been looking into investing and in, in trying to care for myself financially. And, and one of the key components of that is diversifying your portfolio. And I think when it comes to your work life relationship and how you view satisfaction and completeness and wholeness and all that kind of stuff. Like if you put all of your eggs in the work basket for what Mm. what fulfills you, that's pretty dangerous because when that dips or cycles, it has a much bigger impact on you as opposed to like, oh, well I have work, but I also go and have like a football league team or I do beach volleyball on Thursdays and I'm getting really good at that. And so like if you start putting bits of yourself into different areas of your life, so it's more balanced, I feel like that's a much better thing to do and something that I'm going to be actively working on too. Diversify the personal portfolio. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> also, we don't give investment <laughs> advice. This is not investment <laughs> advice. <laughs> All right. Last one I wanted to do, this came from some old colleagues at The Verge. They were talking about changing the shape of the internet. They mentioned a couple of interesting companies here. Starlink is probably the one you've heard of because that's an Elon Musk affiliated company. Another one is called OneWeb and another one is called Project Kuiper, which I believe uh, is backed by Amazon. 
And the interesting thing about this is satellite internet that is accessible in a way it was not before. So satellite internet has been around, satellite phones, but they were often only available in certain places and with quite a bit of latency. And this new approach, which uses these mesh networks of satellites, means you can get quite you know robust, high-speed connectivity, and you can do it even while you're traveling. And I know another colleague from The Verge who recently got a van and drove, you know, tens of thousands of miles all over the place with the Bodium McBoat face, which is actually what Starlink named it, you know, (laughs) dish on the van and was able to pick up internet in just all kinds of strange places. So I have never done the nomad life myself, but I know a lot of software engineers and developers are, you know, people are interested in it. So I think it's really cool that these new satellite technologies are opening up an even wider sort of berth of hey, I can log into my laptop and code from anywhere and get my work done and send my email, shut it down and be wherever you are in the world. This is a big thing that people were excited about in New Zealand because the main hubs, Auckland, Christchurch, Wellington, you know, mm-hmm. that's the high, high cost of living. And a lot of people enjoy living out by the beach. New Zealand has got a huge amount of coastal region, given the fact that it's a couple of islands sandwiched together. And the internet is not good out there. And a lot of people mm-hmm. were very excited about what Starlink could actually like do for them as for their families, sort of being able to like watch Netflix by the beach or like be able to work remotely with their families and ha- like completely change their lifestyle. Like this has had quite a tangible impact on their lives, which I think is it's it's cool. I really enjoy seeing good benefits from stuff like this. Yeah, it's so funny. I've met quite a few software engineers who live the like nomadic life, which is really cool. And this is one of the things I kind of think about because I'm like, you know, you work remotely and you're traveling all the time. How do you manage like having a consistent, steady internet connection that's reliable and all that kind of good stuff? I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but some job descriptions will literally list like you have to have high speed internet like to Mm. work here. I've never seen that. That's interesting. Yeah. I haven't seen it in a while, but I remember seeing it before. Anyway, Mm -hmm. this is definitely interesting. And I think, I hate to say it, but I feel like Elon Musk might be actually positively contributing to society. (laughs) (laughs) Take that out. (laughs) Shakes fist. Shakes fist. (laughs) But this seems like it could actually be a good thing. Yeah. I, I, I don't, unless it does some kind of like, um, what is that? The Terminator net that, that happens. (laughs) Um, unless something really bad and nefarious comes out of it like making the internet more accessible to rural areas and like with all the good and bad the internet does like this will provide a lot of good I think at the end of the day yeah it's more useful than sending a car into space we'll put it that way (laughs) (laughs) yeah All right, everybody well thanks for listening we appreciate you and we'll take you to the outro like we do at the end of every episode, we like to shout out the winner of a lifeboat badge, someone who came on Stack Overflow and helped to rescue a little knowledge from the dustbin of history. Today, it was awarded to Satpal, JavaScript, how to set an interval with random time. Six years, six months ago, this was asked. 25,000 people have been helped by this. Mm. Oh. And you've got an accepted answer with a code where you can run the code snippet right on Stack Overflow. I always love when I see that. All right, everybody. I am Ben Popper. I am the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me at Ben Popper on Twitter. Email us with questions or suggestions, podcast at Stack Overflow. It matters. The cold intro is gone. I heard your voices. 
<laughs> Whatever, you know, we're here. We're listening. And if you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps. My name is Ciara Ford. I'm a developer advocate at Auth0. You can find me on Twitter. My username there is at Ciorio. That's C-E-E-O-R-E-O underscore. And I'm Matt Kienander. I'm a developer advocate here at Stack Overflow. You can find me online at Matt Kander, M-A-T-T-K-A-N-D-E-R, Twitter and YouTube. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.